My name is Laura Max Rose, and I have two girls and two very full hands. Parenting is one of the most intense, rewarding, and all-consuming adventures I've ever been on. And wherever you are in your journey, you're not alone. This podcast is where I ask all of my parenting questions and share the answers I find with you. We're all in this together, and I'm so glad you're here. Sit back, relax. You're listening to Look Ma No Hands. Hi, everyone. Laura Rose here. I hope you are all doing well wherever you are. I'm going to jump right in here and tell you that I was very nervous to record and share this interview with you. And it's funny because in listening to the playback, it's actually probably one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. My guest is Rachel Tuckman. She's a licensed mental health counselor from Long Island, New York, a fellow member of the tribe. She's also Jewish, which is relevant to this interview because her and I are going to be discussing the recent controversy surrounding Whoopi Goldberg, her comments made around the Holocaust, and our thoughts and feelings around those comments. And I had Rachel on because I have found that the older I get, the more my life progresses, the more guaranteed it is that I, I'm not going to have an opinion that fits inside a political box, which is really weird and outer body for me because as as you might know um I've been very politically involved throughout my life not in a not in a while not in several years um but it's it's bizarre for me to admit and to um sort of feel around the space where I don't agree with a lot of what I see most of what I a lot of what I read um, a lot of my opinions tend to be in this gray area where I know a lot of people, especially Americans, actually find themselves, um, but that's rarely discussed. And this is not a political show, um, just barely. It was supposed to be a little bit. And then I ended up really focusing more on motherhood and deciding to leave the politics to my husband. He was running for office at the time that I started this podcast. And to be honest, it can very it can be very, very challenging to bring up things that are part of our political conversation for exactly the reason why I'm having this conversation. Rachel and I are going to be talking about cancel culture, which even saying that, I almost feel like that terminology is associated with one side of our political aisle and um, can be immediately thought of by the other side of the political aisle as being kind of bogus. Um, And I'm actually really grateful. I brought this up with one of my best friends and um, she offered me some insight that when she hears about cancel culture, she immediately thinks, you know, what about Harvey Weinstein? Like, these people deserve to be canceled. Like, I don't, I want to live in a world where they're not allowed to be part of our culture anymore. And, um, you know, I was sharing with her um, my concerns about cancel culture, about raising my children in a world where I'm worried if we say the wrong thing once, we're done, we're over. And what about discourse? And what about conversation? And what about learning from each other? So I am so glad she said that to me because I'm going to start off this interview. Um, by clarifying that I am not in any way when I reference cancel culture, referencing the complete, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? (laughs) The complete intolerance of people who act and behave in the way that Harvey Weinstein did. Um, I am referencing these, um, cross-cultural, cross-political conversations in which one person says something that can be offensive to another person, perhaps even untruthful, and is then written off by half or all of society. Um, Of course, there are going to be places where this 
um, where we're marking somebody's words or actions as unacceptable is, is very, very important. However, as I see it happening more and more um, in scenarios where it's probably not as appropriate um, and where a conversation, a real constructive conversation, a learning opportunity, a teaching, a teachable moment would be so much more constructive. Um, I want to contribute in whatever small way I can to creating a world um, where my children can, you know, feel safe to learn, to change their minds, um, where all of our children can, um, where, where we can have constructive conversations with each other, where the comment threads are not so, so, so vicious when somebody shares one small minor opinion that might offend somebody else. Um, I'm having this conversation with Rachel because I found that concerning and all of that kind of came to a head recently when Whoopi Goldberg made these comments about the Holocaust and I happen to be Jewish, um, which enraged um, a lot of Jewish people, a lot of non-Jewish people, um, other people it did not enrage. And I found myself again having what you might call a heterodox opinion about this, especially as a Jewish person, the only person I could find who not only like pretty much felt the same way I did, but was able to put it into words. That's what I love so much about following Rachel on Instagram is she is able to articulate things that I'm not even considering articulating or uh, they're, they're way in the back of my head. And she really, really helps me put them into words. Um, I, I really, I really loved what she had to say about it. And I thought it was such an unconventional opinion, yet one that we could all really learn from. And so what, what her and I end up discussing, um, is is how um, is how this controversy um, unfolded, how it could have unfolded differently, how that would have benefited people, how it would have benefited maybe Whoopi Goldberg herself, um, and how this sort of cancellation of people or this idea that if somebody does something wrong, their career or their life is essentially over, um, how that's feeding into other areas of society and affecting our discourse and our culture, essentially. Um, and so, of course, I'm going to go back to what I just said. This felt very scary for me to share on here because even just saying cancel culture can evoke a lot of opinions and feelings from a lot of people. Um, however, after listening to this, um, listening to the playback, it felt so important to me um, to share it. We definitely do not only discuss cancel culture on this episode. We talk about so much more. She has so much insight. Um, I, I mean, I if I lived anywhere near her, I would find some way for um, her <laughs> talent and gifts to be part of my life um, and the life of my family in some way, because she's just clearly so skilled at really being present and um, getting to like the core of, of of people's humanity. I was just really blown away by her wisdom. Um, and I, I, I love her and I love what she has to say. So um, without any further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation um, between Rachel and I, and I look forward to hearing your feedback and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined here today by one of those wonderful people you find on Instagram that you just absolutely adore following. You feel like you know them, but you don't. And then you realize you host a podcast and you can reach out to them and ask them if maybe they want to be on your show and answer some of the questions, the many questions you have for them since you started following them. So today I have one of those people with me and her name is Rachel Tuckman. She is a licensed mental health counselor from Long Island, New York. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I actually found you through one of my most beloved podcast guests, Blamey Heller. Um, she is the founder of Unconditional Parenting. She's been on this podcast twice. If you listen to this podcast, you know what a big fan of hers and how much 
um, I am and how much she's influenced me. And um, through her, I found you. And I have absolutely been enamored and fascinated by your perspectives and posts since I started following you. But most notably, and the reason why I had to reach out to you recently was regarding a controversy that really... um, sparked such a desire in me to have a conversation on this podcast about the world that we live in, about cancel culture, about the way that we um, treat each other's opinions because someone we all know, Whoopi Goldberg, um, said something, which I'm going to rehash here on this podcast, um, about Jews and the Holocaust that did not go over very well. And... um, (laughs) You were the only person I feel like on the internet that I found who shared in who shared a similar opinion to mine, which was this person said these things that were factually incorrect. They were meant to be offensive. Like I mean, people like me were offended by them. I'm Jewish. You're Jewish. Um, so here I have this opportunity to kind of experience being on that side of things, and um, I simultaneously felt like, wow, what you said was completely uninformed. And also I don't want you to get fired. I don't want you to live. I don't want to live in a world where you don't get to continue doing what you do. And what I realized from having that experience is that I'm having, I I have integrity here that when I watch other people say things um, that maybe don't directly affect me or insult me. um, And I think, wow, okay. I want them to be I want this to be a teachable moment. I want us to all have an opportunity to learn better, um, but I don't want this person to lose their job necessarily or to experience all of this havoc on their personal lives that I'm not actually being a hypocrite because this was actually said about my group of people. So if you aren't aware of what I'm talking about, um, I'm going to go over Whoopi Goldberg's commentary. She is um, one of the many, one of the four hosts of The View. Um, She was discussing with her co-host, Joy Bahar, um, the Holocaust and the killing of six million six million Jews in the Holocaust, and she said um, the Holocaust wasn't about race; that it was about man's inhumanity to another man. And the reason why she she explained the reason why she said that is because these are two groups of white people. Um, of course, she was countered. A lot online by many people tweeting at her explaining what actually happened, that um, this was not about two groups of white people being inhumane to each other. This was an extremely racist um, occurrence in our in, in, in history. And um, and what I loved was that you expressed the same thing. And then you went on in a later post to say the way this is being handled is not going to be productive to anyone. So I want you to explain your, um, I want you to explain what you said to everyone who didn't get to read it like I did and where you're coming from. Right. So when, um, when I had seen that, you know, the, the network came out and said like, we're suspending her and you know, this is what we're doing. I know everyone was like, hooray, like good, you know, teach her, punish her. And right away I had such a reaction. And initially I'll be very honest. My, my initial reaction was fear. And that was like, oh, my God, shoot. Like, people are going to be like, oh, see, Jews control the media. Look at that. They got Mm -hmm. her fired. They got her suspended. I felt the same way. So that was my initial reaction. And, you know, then I was kind of sitting with it. And I'm like, I don't – that's like my intergenerational trauma coming up here. And, and, you know, all of my fear around anti-Semitism and those tropes. And, like, that's not a reason for me to feel badly about this this suspension. But then when I was thinking about it, I'm like – It literally makes no sense that we do this. Like the whole idea of like suspending someone or firing them from their job or canceling them. Like she did, it was such an opportunity 
for learning, not just for her, but for the millions of people that saw that segment that she could have said, you know what? I said something wrong. Let's bring on Jonathan Greenblatt from ADL. He did come, but it could have been a week dedicated to Holocaust awareness, talking about anti-Semitism, addressing all of the horrible things that have been going on for the Jewish community over the past year because of this huge rise in anti-Semitism. What was it? 300% increase in anti-Semitic acts that were being perpetrated against Jews. Like it was such a lost opportunity to have a conversation and create awareness and sensitivity. And that's why I think that these like, you know, these campaigns for like, well, we got to teach her and shut her up there. They don't do anything. There is no progress being made. There's no accountability even because I promise you on that two week suspension, she wasn't like, you know what, let me go visit the Holocaust Museum. Let me go talk to some of my Jewish friends. She didn't do that. And there is no real consequence for someone in her position. And that's why I think like canceling celebrities or that kind of stuff, like even more so, it's so pointless because they don't have the consequences that people would like them to have. You know, their well, lives- I thought about her sitting there in purgatory for two weeks. I didn't think about, I thought about, okay, you're, you're a mother of three. Okay. I thought yeah. about it the way I would think of a parenting scenario. When you punish somebody, they don't think about what they could do differently next time. They think about how much they can't stand you. Right. Okay. So I just thought about this person, like if she had any animosity towards Jewish people, which honestly, I genuinely think what she said was like mainly ignorant and she didn't even realize what yes, she was saying. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like she had animosity towards me as a Jewish person necessarily. Yeah. Um, I, I think if she didn't have it before, she was going to have it now because she's sitting in timeout. Yeah. And I, I think my, becoming a parent, we talked about this before we started recording. So I was really nervous to just dive right in and start talking about quote unquote cancel culture, because this means a lot of different things to different people. So I want to define what cancel culture is, but I also want to say that becoming a parent changed my perspective on so much of this. You were saying like, you know, you used to kind of be on the side of like, let's get rid of the people who were doing these things. And that felt like really righteous and kind of a worthy cause. And I felt the same way. Now I've got these kids and I want them to understand, um, a, that there's room for them to explore their opinions safely and like to, to learn. And if they make a mistake, it's okay. They can correct it. And I'm also seeing that the way that we treat people in society doesn't work the same way that old school parenting tactics don't work. Punishments don't work. Purgatory doesn't work. It doesn't change the way people feel. And there are other ways to do that. So when you think about like what cancel culture is, um, we're not talking about Harvey Weinstein, like being allowed to roam the earth here. Okay. The, the, we're, wh- who, who exactly are we talking about when we say, um, when we, when we talk about cancel culture? So for me, when I'm thinking about cancel culture, I'm thinking about anyone who, who acts or speaks in a way that we deem like unacceptable or offensive, not someone who like from the outside, objectively, they are doing something that is endangering people or that really violates like, you know, social norms, right? So we're not talking about sexual abusers or rapists or, you know, we're, or like a Hitler of the world. Like we're not talking about that, you know, we're talking about comedians who've made bad jokes. Um, talk show hosts who say ignorant things. And, and I saw, by the way, a lot of people trying to like prove that she was like anti-Semitic and I'm like, Again, like, I really don't know if that's true. I'm not she buying might it. Be. Yeah, but yeah. like, I don't buy it. But I think that that kind of like fuels the, okay, she needs to be canceled, you know? Um, and I always think about also, like, I am so grateful. I'm sure so many people can relate to this. I'm sure you can also, like, if I had had Twitter 
or Instagram when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 18 years old. Oh Oh my God. Like the shit I would write and say and think like, I'm so glad that there was no way for that to be like permanently out there, you know, like. I also feel like it's become like they've sort of like started creating our narrative. Like the teenagers are creating the narrative. And it's impossible for us to change, right? Because we've seen this where there's a comedian or an actor or someone who said things 15 years ago when they were 17 years old in college. And now they're a 35 year old human being who's like an adult and they've changed their minds about things. And we're like, yeah, but what about that time that you made that joke or you wore that costume or you did that thing when you were, and like, we want to take them down for it. And it's like, why human beings by nature, we are flawed. We make mistakes we change our minds, we do things that we regret. And like, like I said, like, think about the things that your, your mindset, your outlook on things, even so before you had kids, you know, I know, like, I used to like, look at people who had kids pre children, right. And their kids yeah. would be crying or, and I'd be like, oh man, like they clearly, they don't know what they're doing. My kids aren't going to be like that, you know? And like, welcome coming into being a parent where I'm like, oh my God, like, what the heck, what do I do? Like what my kid was literally upside down. Like I'm walking out of Target with her because she's screaming and crying. And I'm like, I, I can't deal with this now. Like, tar- you know, tantrum in the middle of Target and like, we just got to get out of there. So it's so different. Like once you're in that position where you're kind of like, oh, okay, I get it now, you know? But I think that we all like to believe, and this is a protective thing that we do. We like to believe that we are perfect and we will do things different and better. And that if we were in the same situation, we would never, and we would handle it differently and we would never say, and and that's why I think so much of what's behind like wanting to cancel someone is a little bit of this need to feel like superior. Better than to other somebody else, to make somebody else bad. If somebody else is bad, then I'm good. Then I am very good. I'm on the right side. Yeah, I'm I'm on on the the right right side of history. history. Yes, Yes. I am I am a wonderful human being and you are horrible and I am the defender of all things, you know, and it's just like it it has less to do with like the problem and the issue and more to do with like this preservation of like I am a good human being. Um, And there's actually like a lot of commentary on like how a lot of the time people who get involved in these cancel campaigns, like it's really a trauma response. You know, it doesn't mean that everyone who does it is coming from a place of trauma, but if you think about it, it makes sense. Like when you do something that like scares me or makes me uncomfortable, I don't know how to talk about it and think about it. I just want it to go away. So I'm yes. going to kick and scream and yell and act violently even, right? In in that I want to shut you up. I don't want anyone to talk to you. I don't want anyone to see you. You're too scary for me. So I just want you to disappear, you know? And so we kind of even like dissociate from that person. I want nothing to do with you. I don't know you. And I don't want anyone to talk to you either. I want you to be invisible, you know? And societally, we honor that trauma response instead of saying, okay, and this is what I love about your feed is like, I think what you do is you say, okay, how can we deal with this trauma instead of having all of society turn around and cater to it? Okay. I'm going to take this out of the way for you. So you don't ever have to feel this uncomfortable again. Yeah. And I think with Whoopi, like what I, what I really believed was like, there should have been, it was such an opportunity for allyship. It was such an opportunity, like I said, for discussion and awareness and even like helping her to see like, Hey, maybe I was wrong in this thinking, like, where did I get this message from? And like, wow, I really 
Like I missed the boat on this, you know, like I clearly did not understand what the Holocaust was, but instead we were like, shut up, go away and like come back. And then even when she came back, there wasn't any real like, you know, Hey, I learned something new. I'm sorry about what I did. It was like, she was just like, okay, I'm here. And like, that was kind of touchy. Like, and that was it. And yeah. Like, no, it was a very, I mean, I hate to say this, but it was a very boomer way of handling things. Yeah. Like let's yeah. punish you never discuss it. And everything's yeah. back to normal. We're not going to learn anything from it. Yeah. Sweep it under the, the rug and back to business. And it was, to me, I felt like that was worse, honestly. Um, and, and that was disappointing, but I knew that was, that's what was going to happen. And I think that the network felt like this is what, what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to like cancel people. We're just supposed to like shut them up and make them go away. That's the response. And again, I think that we live in this society now that like, that's all they want. That's all people want is like, I just don't want to hear you anymore. There's no discussion. There's no, Hey, where did you get that idea from? There's no like curiosity. There's no, can we, can I give you new information that might be helpful in like changing your mind? Maybe you won't change your mind, but like, can I just put this out there and then see what happens? Like, we don't even want to do that. We don't want to give new information. We don't want to like give opportunity for, you know, a person to, to become better. Instead, we just want to put them into that box of like, you're a horrible human being. And I just, we don't make any progress that way as a society in terms of education and even in terms of ourselves, you know? You were telling me off the recording that the way that what really changed your mind around all this was seeing the way cancel culture, somebody being canceled can actually affect that person. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that because that is something I think about constantly. And I am always thinking about how, how am I going to introduce some of these things to my children when they're old enough to understand? And if it's not something that I can explain in a way that I'm comfortable with, it's often something that I want to talk about on this show. So this is one of those things where I'm showing them something that's going on in society and it's not the way we do things. It's not something I agree with, which shows me, you know, it's something, it's something I want want to talk about and understand more. And one of the things that's, that's the hardest for me about it is, is, is imagining kind of explaining to my children, like what happens to these people? And like, why do we treat them this way when you wouldn't treat me this way? And that's not constructive. So, so tell us a little bit about what happens to someone when they're faced with being canceled. So, so the impacts of being canceled, like there's severe mental health and emotional impacts that I think, again, people don't see. And that's part of like, you know, if I cancel you, I don't have to think about you. And that's why I think that there needs to be so much discussion about like what it does to a person. Um, and a lot of the things that happen can look like a trauma response, right? So there's that hypervigilance that, okay, oh my God, you canceled me. Who's talking about me? Who's after me? There's that paranoia. Do they know about what happened? Do they think I'm a horrible person? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my livelihood? Are people going to come after me and my family? And like, there are people that literally have gotten like death threats, um, you know, have people show up at their houses, people trying to like take down their businesses. Like it's really a horrible thing. So there's that paranoia. And then there's, you know, things like basic functioning. They can't sleep. There's nightmares. They're not eating because they're, you know, they're so distraught, they're forgetting to eat, they're not taking care of themselves. Sometimes even like a dissociation, like they don't even really remember, like, what did they say that caused this to happen? Or like, who were they talking to? And you kind of become like out of body, because like, you have to be because it's so scary to be living in your body. And when you're so disconnected from yourself, when you're emotionally disconnected, that can lead to like not wanting to be here, not wanting to be alive, right? When we're disconnected from our body, when we're like, 
so not integrated with ourselves, that can lead to suicidality. And like, that's a very scary thing. So when we're talking about canceling people, like there's a danger there, you know, that like we need to acknowledge. And that's why I think people, you know, we see these big celebrities or these social justice warriors that are all, you know, into cancel campaigns. And I'm like, how can you be so, you know, like on top of caring about social justice and, and, you know, treating people with respect, but in the same breath, you can talk about canceling someone. Like I don't understand how anyone can and, and, and how anyone can watch what's going on and not like gather what you're just what you're describing a and B I think about even for the person who I have nothing to do with what happened with with, with Whoopi Goldberg but I live in a world where um, people like her get fired all the time for saying something uninformed. Yeah. And how how are my kids going to feel? Like, how afraid are they going to be to share an opinion or to question what's being told to them? On top of that, you know, you talk a lot about internet myths, and you love to debunk them on your Instagram. Yeah. And we're going to get we're going to get to some of those in a minute. Um, and uh, one of those sort of like this sort of falls into that category for me as as everything has been unfolding in Ukraine right now. Um, I saw so many people go right from really being like present for what's happening and feeling the pain and the sadness, which is such a hard place to stay. Yeah. Um, and then saying, you know what, I can't stay here. This is too painful. I'm going to go right into judging you. And I'm going to share something like, for example, if you're not livid, you're not paying attention. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I am paying attention and I have two children and I have so much in front of me that I'm actually, that I'm, that I can control. I cannot control what's going on over there. And so, no, you're right. In this moment, I'm not livid. I'm making dinner. I'm trying to make sure my kids are okay because that is my corner of the world that I can actually control. And you telling me that I don't have the right emotional response to what's going on in the world isn't doing anything for me for that situation or changing anything about the way I feel besides that I feel like my emotional response is not adequate. Whereas maybe this morning I was really, really emotional about what was going on. And right now I am in a different place. I don't need to be livid all the time. So instead of right. just staying the way that we feel, we have to make somebody wrong for not feeling the same way. Right. And that's, that's the thing also, like demanding a specific response. This is how you have to feel and this is how you have to act. And if you're right. not doing that, you don't care. And that takes out, like that completely disregards, like that humans are complex and not everybody responds in the same way and not everyone has the same bandwidth. And that's why I think also it comes from people who are, you know, against oppression and again, social justice and whatever. Like if we're talking about like privilege and we're talking about that not everybody has like, you know, the same opportunities and the same bandwidth, like, then you need to apply that same thinking here too. Maybe I don't have time to, th to be livid about Ukraine, because like you said, not even that I'm making dinner, maybe I'm dealing with a terminal illness in my family. So that's the focus right now. Maybe I just yes. lost a loved one here. So while I'm so distraught about war in Ukraine, you're going to attack scary, me for not feeling the right way yeah, about something. Going I need on to in focus Ukraine. on my dying child, mother, sibling. Right. So I don't have to come on to. And by the way, a lot of it is, well, you're not posting it on social media. So if you yes. didn't share a post or you didn't put your a, a flag or a box or this or that, like clearly you're not an activist. And it's like we've be, we've narrowed also what activism means, you know.
And it's like, if you're not showing up online, you're not showing up. And I actually find that a lot of the time people show up online as activists, but they're not doing shit offline, you know? Oh, so- and how many times have I felt like if I don't say something, then I'm going to be seen as somebody who doesn't care. So I'll say something that I'm not ready to say yet. Yeah. Like strictly because I, I don't feel like I can afford to be silent. I mean, this is something I did maybe like a few years ago. And then I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But how many people feel that way? How many people feel like if I don't just regurgitate eight or nine posts that I haven't fact checked, that right. I'm going to be seen as somebody who doesn't care. Right. And then we operate out of fear. Like it's not even about caring about the cause. It's like, oh my God, I just don't want people to cancel me. I don't want them to think that I'm, that I'm, you know, not the good guy anymore, that I'm like not on their team. And that's why like, that's something that really bothers me about social media is like that I'll see these trends. There was also a trend a while ago, um, like posting, what was it like a black and white picture of like yourself to like the show 10 year like, challenge or something? No, what was it? Oh my gosh. And I remember actually that I posted about it and people the were makeup like, selfie. getting so angry at me. No, I want to look on my page. Hold on. People were getting <laughs> angry at me that I was like calling it out because I thought it was the stupidest thing. It was supposed to be like posting a black and white picture of yourself to show like, um, it was like showing oh, your that, solidarity like, with women. Yes. Solidarity. Yes. yes. And I'm like, how is showing a picture of myself? Like that is like the, like the, the <laughs> definition of narcissism. How am I empowering you by putting a curated, maybe even Photoshopped, whatever picture of myself? How does that empower anyone else? You know? And so I wrote a post on it and I actually got like, I don't even remember. It was like the most likes like I've ever, ever gotten at the time. But then some people were like, oh, you're bringing us down and it's supposed to be such a beautiful thing. And why do you have to be like a negative Nancy and whatever? And I was like, I'm just calling it out. Like, this is stupid. This is not how you empower women by posting a picture of yourself. You know, this is an opportunity to share like a highly edited black and white photo of yourself that actually only contributes to the problem. I remember feeling that way about that. Yeah. And then just centers yourself, you know, and, but again, like people are like, well, like this is how I'm being an activist and I'm helping women and whatever. And I was just like, "I, I, I can't. And then if you didn't do it, people are like, why aren't you posting a picture of yourself? You know? Um, and so I just found that so, so interesting again, like this idea of like, that's activism you know, posting this picture of yourself. I can't find it. Um, but it was just so interesting to me. And and that's kind of where I was like, here we are in social media land. And like, this is what we do. And this is where people, again, like everyone was looking, did you post it? Did you post it? And if you didn't, it was like, oh, clearly you don't care about it. I remember cause. feeling that pressure. I don't know if I ended up doing it or not, but I remember at that time feeling like, oh God, there's something wrong with me. Cause I think this is weird. I think yeah. social media contributes to that a lot. And what I love so much about you and your posts is that you always call those things out that I don't even necessarily have words for in my head. So I would, I would consider a lot of what we've discussed so far to be internet myths and and several of your posts have been about debunking internet myths. So I'm going to go through a few of them that have really called out to me and validated my experience on the internet um, in hopes they might make up somebody else feel the same and and have you elaborate a little bit. Um, This was one of my favorites. Um, You, you said that the idea that you quote, never have to explain yourself to anyone Mm. Um, is, is an, is a viral internet myth. I have talked about this ad nauseum with so many of my friends. Um, tell us what you mean by that. I'm just going to let you take it away. Cause I have a feeling you're going to say what, what I'm thinking. Yeah. So I, again, I think that we live in a culture that, um, is very much like focused on like 
individualism, you know, and that like, you got to do what's best for you. And while I do think there is some truth to that, there is like no nuance in that anymore. It's become very black and white. And so that means like, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And I don't know. And I don't owe anybody any, any explanations and like boundaries is like the new word, right? Boundaries. Like the minute, like someone's like, Hey, like what's up with that? Oh, I'm, I, these are my boundaries and like, don't cross them. And everyone's kind of like throwing out all these like cutesy, like pop culture, pop psychology words. And, and so I think that sometimes we don't have to explain ourselves. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's just like, here's what I'm doing. And like, you know, I'm sorry if that's uncomfortable for you. But there are people in our lives that do deserve explanations and that it actually helps connection if we talk to them and tell them about why we're doing something or why something is important to us. And that if we don't talk to them, we create disconnect and we create division and divisiveness. So to say you never owe anyone any explanation for anything that is like really lacking a lot of context. And again, I think that like we need to look at each individual situation that we're in and we need to say, okay, like there are lots of things that we need to consider before we make a decision as to whether or not this person deserves, you know, an explanation. I think that we need to know that, you know, there is, like I said, there's so many complex things that go into each situation. Um, and so that whole idea of like, well, you don't owe anyone an explanation is like, it's not black and white. And I think that when we get into that thinking black and white, we get into like a very dangerous place because, and I'm like a broken record here, like humans are so complex and we are not all good, all bad, all this, all that, like every situation is different. Um, and so again, I think that it just creates like division between us to say like, well, I don't have to tell you, like, just accept it. Like if someone said that to you, how would that make you feel? You know, like, right. And it's a very non-complex way of looking at things. It reminds me of what you were saying about Twitter. We've got like the teenagers retweeting and they're so passionate in their opinions. And then all the adults are like, okay, like there's black and there's white and we've got to get behind one. And we have to be just as passionate instead of being the adults in the room. Yeah. For me, all of the stuff around boundaries, and I don't have to explain um, myself to anyone. And the next one here, which we're going to talk about in a second, which is if you know me well enough, you'll know exactly what I need. Like anybody who anybody who loves me will know exactly what I need. Um, it reminds me of people who were, and myself, like when I was in high school and college, learning about boundaries, learning about how to take care of myself for the first time, and everything did feel very black and white. And it needed to be for me at yes. that time. I needed to be empowered and to understand like, yes, I don't need to explain myself to anybody. I just have to take care of myself. I just have to make sure that I'm okay. And then guess what happens from there? Like you get to reintegrate back into the world again and you get to find the nuance in relationships and realize that life isn't actually in the gray area. And what I feel like ends up happening in the in on the internet is that the people who are maybe just learning about boundaries are the loudest and then they get to decide what's the truth for everybody else. And that ends up being how we run the world because yeah. the thing that is the loudest, the thing that causes the most controversy ends up being like the most easy to regurgitate and the easiest to adopt. Um, so yeah, so all of this goes into another very similar truth, which is if they really love you, they'll know what you need. So I think that this is one of the most harmful ones. And I see this constantly around, um, you know, any account sharing about relationships or, you know, lack thereof or whatever is going on in their relationship. Um, tell us what's wrong with that statement. Right. So that statement, I think leads people to believe that everyone in your life is a mind reader and that everyone is just supposed to anticipate your needs, right? And that if they don't, 
then that's a failing on them. And there's no personal responsibility on your part. And again, I think we live in a time where personal responsibility is like getting very like murky. Like we're not, no one is taking responsibility for their emotions, how they feel, how people react to how they feel. Right. And that goes back to like, I don't have to explain anything to anyone. And like, if you get if upset, I'm offended like, by what you say, then F you get out of my way. your problem. That I'm not going to evaluate why that hurts my feelings. Right. Think I'm about not, that in a relationship. I'm not going to evaluate why what you were saying bothers me. I'm just going to decide that you're completely wrong and terrible. Right. And I'm not responsible for your emotions. Like, again, there's a grain of truth to that, but there's so much nuance there. So it's stop testing the people that you love. If you want something talk to them and tell them, give them the opportunity to meet you and make you happy, you know, like, and just like you would want the same thing. Like if you want to make someone happy, the way that you ask, the way that you tend to them and you create that is to say like, Hey, what would be helpful? What would you like? Right. If you don't tell them, they won't know. And then they will, they will disappoint you, you know? And I think that that's important too, to kind of like, you have to bridge the gap, you know, between like expectation and like, your disappointment. And and when we have expectations and we don't talk about what we want, we create disappointment. So if we talk with people and say, hey, for my birthday, I would really love X, Y, and Z. Or you know what? I know I never used to like flowers, but like I actually do love them now. So I would love for my birthday if you got me flowers instead of like, okay, I changed my mind. I like flowers. And then my birthday comes and he doesn't bring me flowers. And I'm like, what the, what the I like flowers now. You know, I I thought you hated flowers. We need to just constantly have like open communication. We need to never assume that someone knows what we want. People will only know if we tell them. And I think that's important. But again, we've kind of created this like entitlement where it's like people should just guess and figure it out, you know, or like I hinted so you should get it. Like, no, please be clear and direct with people about what you like and what you don't like. And by the way, this is something that we teach kids that I advocate for teaching kids very early on in terms of body safety and consent and boundaries. Tell people what you like and what you don't like, what feels good and what doesn't feel good, what makes you uncomfortable and what you're okay with. Like, this is important. We're al- what foods you like and what you don't like when you're full and, and when you're hungry for more. And we have to come as parents and like honor that. And no, no, you just ate. You're not hungry anymore. Like, what do you... I'm, but I'm telling you, I'm hungry. But I'm telling you, I'm hungry. Yes, right? exactly. But I'm like, you just went to the bathroom. You can't have to go again. Like, what do you mean? And, but if we're giving kids that message very early on, we're teaching them, like, you don't know. And so you're going to always have to second guess yourself. And by the way, don't make your needs known. Because if you do, I'm either going to tell you you're wrong. It's not the time. It's not the right? And so then we're creating even this kind of like mentality of like, well, I, I shouldn't ask for what I want because either I'm not going to get it or I'm going to be disappointed or I'm going to be told I'm wrong. And so I think that kind of then feeds into like, well, I'm just not going to tell people what I want. I'm just going to hope that they can figure it out. But people cannot figure that out, you know, and especially if you're in a relationship with someone, you're coming in from two completely different backgrounds, two completely different narratives, so much different baggage, so many different like emotional, you know, mindsets and and beliefs about the world and and even maybe political ideologies and, you know, different ways that you were practicing. If you're both religious, maybe you have different mindsets around religion. Like I always say when I met my husband, you know, he, he grew up also an Orthodox Jew and I'm an Orthodox, but he would always be like, what religion are you practicing? Like he was like, your mentality is so backwards. Like, he's like, we are like, not, this is not the same thing, you know? And, and he had such a healthy, balanced approach to Orthodox Judaism that I was like, wow, oh my God. Like it was, 
yeah, we were really not practicing the same religion at all, you know? Um, cause I had such backwards like thinking and he was just like, wow, like, I, are you sure that you're like, like an Orthodox Jew? Like, where did you pick this stuff up? You know? So if you're coming into our relationship with such completely different mindsets, like how can you expect that someone's going to know what you want? They, they're not going to. And I think when we expect that again, we just create like walls and division and, and separation and misery for ourselves. You know, for me, this comes down to like vulnerability and, um, sitting with discomfort that, um, we live in a very black and white society that you have to choose an opinion. You, you cannot have room for negotiation around that. There's no coming over to the other side. There's no listening that's happening. And uh, just as we can't necessarily be vulnerable enough to change our minds about something politically or to try to hear somebody out or to not cancel them. We also have a really hard time being vulnerable, vulnerable enough to be, um, in a relationship with somebody where we have to verbal and articulate what we need. That if we feel any type of discomfort because somebody didn't bring us flowers, that's that person's fault. Instead of being vulnerable enough to say, hey, this is what I need from you. And um, I think about this, this all comes back to, this all comes back to the theme of parenting for me, because I just think about how I'm raising my kids um, to advocate for what they want. And they teach me so much about um, you know, what I really believe. And I just, I, I, I don't believe in the black and white. I don't believe in these totally rigid, um, norms being set in society that like, you know, I, I just, I'm never going, I should never have to experience anything uncomfortable. I should never have to articulate my needs to you. They're all part of the same thing. And they all come back to, um, you know, things being regurgitated online that maybe resonate with somebody, but aren't necessarily the truth and then just get keep getting perpetuated. I loved what you said about, you know, you and your husband were both Orthodox Jews, but he was like, are we even the same religion? I, I met my husband, I was born and raised Jewish. I'm hundred percent Jewish. So is my husband. By the time when I met him, when I was 24, I didn't necessarily consider that to be a very significant part of my identity at that point. And, um, it was very important to him. And I knew that. And I, really liked him right away. So I made sure he knew I was Jewish because I knew it was important to him that he marry somebody who was Jewish. And I remember telling him the next day, you know, I kind of feel like I lied to you because I am Jewish, but it's really not that big of a part of my life. And he was like, well, what do you mean? That doesn't like, I, I, that's surprising to me coming from you because you actually like seem so Jewish and his understanding of Judaism was so much different than mine and mine had come with so much trauma. Mm. And, um, I think together, both of us have sort of like, created our own understanding, um, in so many ways from the way that we both look at our, at our own religion. But, um, oh my God, talk about like the vulnerable conversations and, um, the, the, the disagreement on like maybe the way one thing should be, and then having to come over to the other side. I mean, I feel completely differently about certain things involving my religion and my political view than I did when I met him. Like none of that is, none of that was possible without being extremely uncomfortable. Right. Right. Which makes me feel more and more sort of like on the outside when I'm reading some of these things that I read on the internet. So some more of them that you've shared that I really love. Um, You say it's an internet myth. This is on the other side that nobody can make you feel bad. Well, yes, they actually can. So tell us more about that. Right. So that goes into also like, I'm not responsible for you. Like I'm only just responsible for myself and I can't make you feel any kind of way. And again, like that is, is creating this belief that like, our behavior does not have any impact, you know, and it does. We can impact people. We are responsible for the impact of our behavior. And that if you say something mean to someone, 
we know that it will likely hurt their feelings, you know, or if you act in a way that is cruel, like that, that is going to impact someone in a negative way. And you way. do have to own that. That's not and just their to, responsibility. Yes. Yes. And you yes. have to be like, well, I mean, you're choosing to be upset. Like, no, we don't choose our emotions. No. Actually, we choose what we do with them afterwards. But if you say something hurtful to me, I am going to be hurt. And then you are responsible for that. What I do with that afterwards, we can't necessarily blame. But again, like we can't just walk around saying like, well, it's not my responsibility to make you happy. It's not my responsibility not to upset you. Everyone's so fragile these days. Like I can't, you know, you can't, it's not my responsibility. And it's like, no, but it, it is your responsibility to be careful um, how you speak and what you say to people um, and to be sensitive to that because yes, you can cause someone to feel a certain way. Um, and I think we need to have that sensitivity, you know, because I always say like, imagine like someone came into my room like as a therapist, they came into my room and like spilled their guts to me. And I was like, yeah, like that's really sucky, but like, you know, come on. Oh, well too bad. Like that belongs to you now. Yeah. You know, my father well, abused me or whatever somebody's coming to you with. And you're like, well, you own those feelings now. I mean, yeah, he's not responsible stuff. anymore. Yeah. Right. That's not something that you would say. Right. Like never. Like, what do you mean? We hold space for it. And we yeah. say like, yes, that's so hard. And yes, somebody hurt you. And now what can we do to create healing for you? But to, we never deny that someone can have an impact on you in a, a positive or a negative way. Um, and I think it's interesting also, though, that people will say that, that like, I'm not responsible for how you feel. But then at the same time, they do want to take credit for like, you know, being like making the world a better place. And so which is it? You know, are you someone that can have an impact on people or you don't? It's for the good and for the bad that you have an impact. But we can't like pick and choose like when we decide that we have an impact, when it makes us feel good about ourselves, but when it maybe makes us look in the mirror and like kind of evaluate how we've been behaving or what we're saying. Then we're like, no, 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 but that I'm not responsible for. No, we're responsible the, across the board for the good and the bad, you know? <laughs> amen. This is one of my favorites. Um, one, of, one of the internet myths that you shared. Let my story inspire you to do the same, mm. exclamation point. That is like, oh my God. My existence. Tell I, me more. I hate that. Um, I really believe in the power of like, letting people's stories inspire us, but it is never a good idea to look at someone else's story and say, if I do the same thing, I am going to have the same outcome. And Which it's is never, rampant on Instagram. Like, like just, all I, I have to say that. Yes, this is how I did things. If you do them the same way, you can have what I have. It is so harmful in my opinion. Yes. Um, and I see it in so many different spaces. And again, it completely ignores that like we are humans and we do not all have the same life circumstances. We don't have the same mental health, emotional, you know, well-being, access to things, bandwidth, whatever it is. Like it's nice that your, you know, situation worked out this way, but it doesn't mean that if I do the same thing, that it's healthy for me, that it's a good idea, that that the person that I'm trying to do this with is going to respond in the same way. And I just think it's a dangerous message to say like, do what I did and you will have the same result. You cannot say that, you know, you can give people hope that if the result that you had is something that brings you happiness and fulfillment, you can give an overarching message of like, this was important to me. And so I pursued and I overcame and this and that, and like, you know, giving those messages to people of hope, 
But again, when it's so specific of like do X, Y, and Z, follow the recipe and you're going to have the same result, you cannot do that with human beings. And I think that um, I don't, I don't want to like call out any specific professions, but I do see it with with certain professions that that's kind of like their tagline is like, I'll tell you what I did and like, you'll have the same result. And it's like, that is, is, I feel very exploitative and dishonest. Um, and to take people's money and give them those promises is really, really wrong because you cannot promise anyone anything. You just can't. Um, and so that's like a huge red flag for me. Even if I see like a therapist who's like, by six months, your problems are going to be gone and I'm going to improve your marriage. And I'm, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. A therapist should never make any promise about an outcome with a client. Like you cannot do that. And so if I see that from a mental health professional that I'm like, wow, like, please stay far, far away because that is not, we can't do that. You know, the only thing we can promise is like, I will show up for you to the best of my ability and try to support you. And that's it. I can't change your life. That's not my job. You know? Well, I'll go ahead and call out one of the industries where I see this happening most often. The let my story inspire you to do the same. I see it happening in, in wellness, health, yeah. Yeah. eating, yeah. dieting, et cetera. You as a licensed mental health counselor, you focus on disordered eating, healing body image, and also anxiety, grief, parenting issues. Yeah. I can't imagine growing up in this world in high school um, right. and seeing these like doctored body, like, oh my God, the type of body I was trying to have when I was in high school, it was like already bad enough. Yeah. Um, and I don't even have Instagram. So what, like, what are you seeing that's happening in your field as a result of exposure to images on social media as it pertains to disordered eating and healing and, and body image? So we are seeing a huge spike in eating disorders and disordered eating, a lot of anxiety, body image related anxiety, depression, just in terms of like, like cosmetic surgery, like that industry is like booming. And I actually listened 300% increase over the pandemic in cosmetic it's surgery. Crazy. And I was actually listening to a really interesting podcast with Victoria Garrick. She's on Instagram. She interviewed a plastic surgeon and he was saying that people have come to him with pictures of themselves with a filter and they're like, make me look like this. And he's like, it's literally not humanly possible. Like you can't look like that. You know, like he's like, people think that these doctored images are actually like realistic and that your face can look this way. He's like, but like your bone structure would never allow for it, you know? And he's like, but people are doing this. Like they're seeing these, you know, doctored image, Photoshopped image, filter shopped images. And they're saying, make me look like that. And he's like, but even that person doesn't look like that, you know? So there's such a distorted idea of like, what is beautiful or what is normal. And there's no diversity in it either. Right. It's all the same look like that jaw with the nose and the eyes and that pouty lips. Like we all know it. Like we can think of it when we, when we think of what that image now is of beauty. It's like that Kardashian filter that everyone's using, you know, that they all look the same way. And he was saying in this podcast, like he'll turn people away. He'll say like, I, I can't do that. Like it's, it's literally not possible. It's not just like for your mental health, I can't do it like that, but also as a surgeon, it's not, it is not physically possible. Um, and so girls are doing this though. They're, you know, using a filter. And then when that filter comes off and they see their actual face, they're like, oh my like, whoa, I look rough. The comparison. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and yes. I've done it even like I've downloaded these yeah. filters to like see what, and it's like, 
it's so funny. Like I don't tend to like think I'm like ugly and then I'll use these filters and I'm like, holy, oh my God, like, geez. When you see the before and after, it's not a normal thing to be exposed to. I was like, wow. I have the same experience. Yeah. Oh wait, I I thought I was rested. I'm looking like hell. Like it's, it really messes with your head and people don't realize like, and, and I have people will say to me like, sometimes if you're on social media, like you just, you know, you're having, you know, your skin isn't so great. So you just want to use a light filter. You know, they kind of like try to excuse it. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not talking about the light filter that like, you know, I'm talking about the facial reshaping your nose. Yeah. That it literally doesn't look like you. And, and a lot of the time when you're following an influencer who you don't know in real life, you don't know that it doesn't look like them, you know? And so it's really messing with their heads. And yes, when you are a teenager, and you're uncomfortable in your body just because it comes with the territory. And you're being given this message of like what beauty is supposed to look like, right? That this is what's beautiful. And this is, you know, what's, what is the, is the ideal. And that if you don't look like this, there's something wrong with you. That really messes with your head. And I saw, I saw an actually like an interesting stat that was saying that by the time you're 17, you've seen 20,000 advertisements telling you what beauty is supposed to look like. So that's 44 ads a day that tell you what's beautiful in these years where you're really trying to figure out like how you feel in your body. So 44 times a day, if you're on social media, you're on Snapchat, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, 44 ads a day. That's a lot of like- That's a lot of information informing how you're going to feel about what you look like at such a vulnerable age. Yes. I mean, that's the age where we determine what kind of music we listen to. There have been all these studies that say like you kind of acquire all of your favorite songs and musicians kind of during those teen years. And then that's where, where it stays. Like you totally, and it's so figure out how you feel about the world. Yeah. You figure out how you feel about the world and what you love and then kind of like builds on that, but that's pretty much it. And so your idea of beauty kind of starts there or what you think you ought to look like. And when I think about social media being part of my teen years, I mean, I can't, I had like Britney Spears in a magazine, but I didn't have. (laughs) Also, Britney wasn't relatable because you knew she was a celebrity, but now it's everyone. Yeah. It's like your friend, you know, in the next class or your neighbor down the block or the lady that, you know, goes to the gym with you. It is someone who's relatable. And so where it used to be, we could separate ourselves. Of course, I'm not Cindy Crawford. Of course, I'm not Naomi Campbell. Now it's like, yeah, but maybe like, but I know, you know, my Shana friend Caitlin Dan- looks like that, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, oh, but my friend around the block has this perfect life. And like, what is my life? And so we yes. see again, like this huge, like, you know, this, this massive increase in that like body related anxiety and depression and these body image struggles and you know, and again, like when we have these fitness and wellness influencers who are like, do what I do and you're going to look like me. Yeah. But like, literally that's your job. And that's what you do eight hours a day. And the kind of eating that you're engaging in, like, I don't know if that would be healthy for my body and my needs. Most likely it would not because a lot of the time they're engaging in such restrictive, unhealthy practices. Like, you know, and again, when it's your job to look that way and you have a team and let's say a celebrity like JLo, right? Jennifer Lopez, like, she has a team of people who are committed to making her look the way she looks because that is her job to present herself in this way. You cannot do what JLo does. You don't have the time. You don't have the money. You don't have the access. You don't have, you know, we can't right. do it. And you know that. You have an awareness yeah. of that. Right. But I think people forget. They're like, oh, well, if I go, you know, JLo went sugar-free for three weeks, like I'm going to do it too. Like, no, no, no. That's not why she looks the way she does. 
She doesn't use olive oil on her face like no. she said she did. Yeah, exactly. no, that's not why she looks the way she does, you know? So, and it, and again, it messes with our heads because then when we do that and three weeks later, we still look like ourselves, we're kind of like, oh, we blame ourselves, you know? And then again, that feeds into this like feeling of like, not enough, failure, I'm a terrible person, whatever it is, you know? Well, speaking of blaming ourselves and being not enough and a failure and a terrible person, um, the last internet myth that I wrote down that I wanted to ask you about, this is definitely not the last one that I absolutely loved. Um, it wasn't even so much this myth as much as your explanation of it. Um, you said it's an internet myth that when it's the right one, you'll just know. And hey, listen, I mean, I I got engaged. Well, I'm not... <laughs> I'm Jewish, but I'm not Orthodox. So I got engaged after nine months, which was very short in my, in my universe. And, um, I, I remember saying to people, you know, like when, you know, you know, and like, there was a, there's a lot of that, 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 that is true. That remains true for me. Like I had such a feeling when I met my husband, that's not the only thing that was going on. There were also other things that were going on that, that like both of us needed to overcome. There were lots of anxieties. There was trepidation. It wasn't like, okay, we meet. And everything is wonderful and there's nothing, there's nothing to, that there's nothing that comes into question. There's nothing difficult. Um, there's no anxiety. I loved your explanation of why that is an internet myth that when it's the right one, you'll just know. So t tell us why that's a myth. So again, like I think that, that we're, when people say that they're not leaving any room for like, again, a very human feeling of like those ups and downs of like, well, sometimes I'm going to have doubts and fears and that's normal. We can't know anything for certain. Of course you're going to quit. It's the scariest thing right? ever. Look and at like the, way, the divorce rate in our country. Like it's terrifying. How am I supposed to trust? I was 24. And by like, the way, can we normalize that even when you're married, you will have moments where you say like, is this like, are we good? Is this healthy? Like it is normal for people to have moments in their relationships where they doubt it, where they're not sure if it's the right thing, where they doubt their partner, where they feel, you know, hesitations about things like this is normal. And I think to tell someone like, when you know, you know, then, and I, and I see this a lot because I do have a lot of people in my office who are now like in that dating world, you know, because being in the community that I'm in, you know, we do have like, you know, men and women starting to date pretty early and Within and you country. get married more quickly. Like there's more yeah. of a, like, that's kind of like a value and a right. goal, like get married young and start your families young. And, you know, um, and so there is this pressure on them to like figure it out. And so when they can't figure it out, they're like, shoot, like I like him or I like her, but like, I don't know, I'm not so sure. And so I'm always there as like, take your time. You're not going to know right away. And if you have moments where you really enjoy being with them and like, you know, you feel like you guys are so on par and your values are in sync and whatever take that, enjoy that, look into that, lean into that. And then if you have moments where you're nervous and scared, it doesn't mean you have to break up. It means that you're about to get into something that's a really big deal, right? And when we you don't, don't normalize that, when you don't normalize that anxiety, what you end up is having people who feel like those feelings are bad or problematic. Or that there's um, something And then wrong maybe they don't end up together because they're like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel this one way. I mean, I have this one friend who, um, you know, like got married recently and she, um, regularly kind of came to me before she got married with these, like, am I supposed to feel this way? Like, is this normal? And it's like, gosh, I, I know exactly why you feel like it's not right. Um, because that's the internet and like sort of the world around us, but right. of course, oh my God. Yes. Like, what do you like? Of course you are. And I, I remember feeling that way. I remember like having this really strong, 
like intuition. And then also like whenever I would have like any type of negative feeling that like the internet told me I wasn't supposed to have, I, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. And this anxiety that just like continues to build. And I love that you're saying like, let's normalize this. Let's normalize even being in your marriage or in your relationship and having these feelings. Yeah. And you can have moments, like I said, of doubt and fear. And it's not about like, shoot, I'm having those feelings. That means something's wrong. Again, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean that there's actually like that feeling is factual, right? We say this all the time. Feelings are not facts. It's just a feeling. And so that you can take that and just say, okay, like, what is this about? Am I feeling this way? Because like I said, this is like a big deal for me. Like I want to get married. I want it to be successful. I don't want to end up divorced. I want to be in a healthy relationship. I'm young as all hell. I'm 20. I'm 21. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm talking about getting married. Like, you know, there is a little bit of a downside to to being so young, you know, like we're really clueless. Um, and so it's hard. And then if you have a lot of people in your ear, you know, like, oh, well, you should know. And how come you don't know? And and like, why are you having doubts? Because, That's just what they were told and what they tell themselves. Yeah. It's like a regurgitation. Yeah. And we don't. And, and then I, I say also, like I say, when I have these clients in front of me, I say, if you think this is like the only time in your life that like, you're not going to be sure about something, like you're in for a real surprise because even, and, and I don't know if you can relate to this, like even like the decision to have kids and like when you're pregnant and then when you bring these kids into the world, you're like, what the heck am I doing? Like, oh my God. Oh, can I relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Like, was this, am I fit to be a parent? Like, I, I, I don't know what we doubt it. And even the whole pregnancy are like, shoot, was this the right time? I, I, am I going to mess this up? Like we are so full of doubt always. And again, I think that that's like a healthy part of being human. And it doesn't mean necessarily that like we shouldn't be in the place we're at. It just means that we can never be a hundred percent sure about anything. But again, we kind of live in a culture that tells us like, of course, you're going to know everything. And of course you have control over everything. And of course, if you try, you're going to get the result that you want. And of course, you know, and it's like, that's just not how we're, the world works. It's full of uncertainty and it's full of things throwing us for a loop and hi, welcome pandemic. Hi, war in Ukraine. Like we don't, life is not predictable and neat. It's actually super messy. And so our job for ourselves and as parents is to prepare our children to learn and ourselves to learn how to just face the mess, you know? Okay. Bringing a child into the work and into the world in a pandemic, the the, right. the overwhelming fear of like, oh my God, what did I just do? Is this yeah. the end? Is right. this like, what's Are they going to be normal? And all yeah. the things we're hearing about how their mental health and our mental health and how we're not even seeing like one iota of what the impacts are going to be like, shoot, did I make a mistake? And the answer is like, we're never going to know if you made a mistake. So let's just work with what's in front of us. And let's just try to make it as good as we can, you know, instead of harping on like, oh my God, but I'm not sure. And I'm this and I'm that. It is what it is. It's what's in front of us right now. So let's kind of focus on like what we're, what we're doing. You know, it's okay to be fearful. It's okay to, to not be sure, but what are we going to do about this now? You know? Um, And again, I think that when we're like trying to tell people that like something is a hundred percent guaranteed, that's not real life. Nothing is guaranteed, you know, like waking up tomorrow, hate to be morbid here, but I'm something, someone that thinks about this a lot. Like do not take life for granted, you know, nothing is guaranteed in this life. Um, And so that's why I think gratitude is something important to practice because we're not owed anything here either, you know? Um, And so I think that when we, when we are working hard to parent our children in a way that they become good people and, and that they are, you know, solid 
kids with with good values and and you know respectful and loving and kind like please be so grateful for that you know because like you can do all that hard work and and it may not necessarily turn out that way you know so kind of just grounding yourself in the fact that like we're not again we're not owed anything and and nothing is a guarantee um and i know that's hard for people to to internalize because people want guarantees tell me that therapy is going to work promise me that it's going to get better promise me you can save my marriage tell me that that these fertility treatments are going to work tell me when the pandemic is going to end no one can give you any answers we don't know you know we can guess we can look at statistics we can look at the studies we can you know kind of like our our prior experience with these things but like we don't know for sure you know because you are not the statistic the statistic is everyone before you not you you know so but we want that we want promises and that's hard well, not. what you just said, that human desire to have the answer, to be promised something, I think is why we're seeing everything else that we just discussed on this podcast, that we want an absolute. We want one side or the other to be right. Yes. We want to know there's a good choice, that there's somebody, there's good guys and bad guys. Think about the movies that are geared toward children who literally do think right. this way that you are yeah. describing. There are good guys and there are bad guys. There is... I mean, every story is told with a very clear one or the other. Um, that is not what we end up finding as we grow up. Right. We end yeah. up seeing like there is so much nuance and so much we actually don't know in the world. But so many people around us are trying to guarantee this sort of absolute, this absolution. And, yeah. and it's not... Being alive is living in the middle. It's living in the gray area. Yeah. And I think that social media, and for sure, I would say even over the pandemic, social media like has intensified that black and white thinking and it rewards it even, right? It rewards that emotion. It rewards that outrage. It rewards that like good and bad, right? I'm team this president or I'm team this organization or I'm team, right? It's like we have to put ourselves into boxes. And I think that like during during the pandemic for sure. And that's why I think also like the rise of, of cancel culture. I know that people feel like it's been around for so long, but it's actually really only like since 2019, it's been like a real thing. Like we've seen cancellations. Like if we look back, like the Dixie Chicks, I think it was like in 2003, like early right. 2000s when they were, they called out Bush, right? They criticized him and people were like, you know, they weren't, Goodbye. it wasn't called canceling, but they were essentially mm -hmm. canceled. But it's really only been since like 2019 that like we've seen this like cancel culture. And I think that over the course of the pandemic, when people were kind of stuck inside and their social life really became like social media, you know, it becomes your like social world and you become invested in it in a way that you weren't really before, you know, and I think that like they said that the usage of apps went up like 70% during the pandemic um, and especially in areas where they were hit the hardest, right? So people were really on social media a lot. So those dynamics are intensified, you know, because we're seeing people on social media who are, whose team are you on? Are you going to post that? Are you going to be as outraged as I am? And and rewarding those people with more followers and more likes and more engagement, right? So like people think, oh, this is how I'm supposed to behave. You know, I have to be boycotting or shunning someone, you know, because they acted in a way that I don't like. And if I don't like, you know, um, 
And so again, there's this like idea of like you were saying, like purity, black and white, good or bad, good and evil. Um, and I think that that's, that's really kind of been, like I said, magnified by the pandemic and, and social media um, and rewarding it, you know? Well, I absolutely love your honesty. I love the way you're able to articulate things that run through my head that I can't seem to articulate. And I'm just feeling like I need to ask you this one last question. You work yes. as a mental health counselor. And when we think about the state of mental health right now in our society, I mean, I think it's it's appropriate to gather that maybe it's never been worse, certainly in our lifetimes. Yeah. What gives you the most hope every day? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I feel like I run on autopilot. I think what gives me hope is that I, I get to see, I really feel like my job is, is like such a blessing because I do get to see in my office, like change, you know, I get to see people healing and finding happiness and making their lives better and setting boundaries in healthy ways and opening their minds and learning. And even like on, on my page, you know, people will say like, you know what, when I first, you know, heard you say this, like, I, I thought you were totally crazy for saying it. And like, I'm so glad I stuck around. Like, I've opened my mind to thinking about this in a different way. And, you know, you've challenged me to think about things in a more sensitive way or to be more aware. So I think that's really what gives me hope is that I feel like I do have an impact, you know, in a positive way. Um, and that I can help people, you know, to kind of find their own path and, and live healthier lives in a way that's more authentic to themselves. So I think that's really what kind of gives me hope, you know, that I get to see the change um, and it's in front of me, you know. I love that. It's such an honor to have you on the show, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. If anyone wants to follow you on Instagram, tell us your Instagram handle and anything else about you you'd like the audience sure. to know. Sure. So my on Instagram, I'm Rachel underscore Tuckman underscore LMHC. Um, also my website, I will be please, if I can get my act together, offering more content there, online courses. Um, so that's racheltuckman.com. And for now, that's uh, I'm not going beyond those two platforms, no TikTok or any of that for me. I just, too much going on in the world and in my life. So I'm kind of trying to keep it more. I love that. And I'm narrow. totally interested in your online courses. So I'm so glad you shared thank that you. with us. And thank you again. Thank you again for sharing your opinions, for being so honest um, I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And thank you for the mark that you make on the world every day because you made one on me and we hadn't even met before yes. this interview. And thank Great. you all for joining us today. Um, you've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose. I look forward to joining you again next time. I hope you liked that last episode of Look Ma No Hands. Feel free to take a screenshot, share it with a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear it. If you want all the Look Ma No Hands updates, follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Froze. I look forward to joining you again next time.